Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. Let's go ahead and let's get into the book of Ephesians. We've been here for months, but we've made it to this section, which happens to also be about marriage. What are the questions? I mean, just God works that stuff out, right? So let's go ahead and let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Lord, we are so grateful for your presence. We're so grateful for your spirit in this place today. Lord, I just pray that by the end of this time today, that hearts would be changed, hearts would be softened, that your word, it's going to go and it's going to accomplish much in our heart today and in our lives. And the fruit of it will be, I believe, the fruit of the spirit in our relationships and you moving in and through them. We declare that right now in Jesus name. Amen. All right. Let me just go to the end of Ephesians chapter five, verse starting in verse 31. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let his wife see that she respects her husband. Here it talks about marriage, and it talks about it's a profound mystery going on in this whole allegory. How many of you guys would just admit that ladies are a mystery? Let's just start off there. How many of you guys, just ladies are a mystery? I mean, we're, we're commanded to become one flesh. How can we become one flesh? Why is it so hard for us to become one flesh or all of those things? It's, it's hard because there are two different people coming in and usually, how many of you guys know that opposites generally attract? How many of you guys would admit that there are some definite areas, those of you guys who are married, that there you found your opposite? Anybody, you can recognize some areas. Yeah. Why is that? I don't know why that is, but it just happens that way. And so we usually have two different people. And then we also have the fact that men and women are different. I shouldn't have to point that out, but let's just do it just for fun. Let's just point it out because men and women are different. Guys go to their cave to fix the problem. Ladies generally stereotypically talk a lot more. It's just the way it is. And we, you know, I know there are exceptions to that rule, but they are different. In general, women tend to say twice as many words as men. How many of you guys are just saying amen right now? You just know that's just, that's just a spiritual truth, you know? Um, so we just recognize this. Differences, though, can be really good. They can, they're just different. They're not bad or good many times. They're just different. So like my, my wife and I, we have differences. And I've shared this before. But whenever uh, she drives, it's like you need a five-point harness and a roll bar when she drives. And uh, you don't need to go to an amusement park. You've got one. You, I mean, it's there every day. It's free. It's just gas money. It's just, an, it's just awesome. And uh, my faith life goes up every time I ride with her. And I'm just, you know, believing God for the best. And I want to meet Jesus. I just don't want to do it today on my way home. So, uh, you know, that's just the difference. And so I am the worst, uh, by contrast, or just, just by comparison, I am the worst side seat or back seat driver ever. I mean, I'm the worst. And so the whole time I'm like, break, 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 stop. Nope, nope, the car. I'm the worst at it. And so when it came to teaching our kids how to drive, I was a wreck. I mean, I'm, I'm just like, I mean, I'm just like, you're going to hit a car. It's like a mile and a half down the road, but you're going to hit this car. And so I had to give up trying to teach my kids to drive. I said, Becca, you teach them how to drive. So she thinks they're great drivers. And, uh, <laughs> it worked out. We're all still alive. We're believing Jesus for that to continue. We still have three more in the tank to teach how to drive. 
And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things because we're different. And, you know, and so somehow God uses the differences to complement one another and to use that in a way that gets the job done. And so, uh, but you notice these things that you don't notice before you're married. So I remember, and I've shared this before, nothing new here, but I, I, I remember on our honeymoon, I'm not going to go into details here, guys, but uh, on our honeymoon, I remember we we're getting ready to go to bed. I'm not going to go far on this, but I notice that she was wearing socks to go to bed. How many of you guys are sock-wearing bed people? Anybody sock? I do not understand you people. That's, that's ungodly. There's something wrong with that. Your feet need to breathe, people. It's just, it's just a fact, okay? And so I'm looking at this, and I said, what kind of woman have I married? A sock-wearing woman. I don't know what to do with this. Since she's repented, now she has naked feet, so it's good. And God has worked on her in that area. And so, but it's just different. And so we, there's not right or wrong, you know, even though I think you guys are wrong, but there's not right or wrong. There's just difference. And so I just started to wonder when I saw the sock wearing, I said, what other secrets are lurking in this woman's life that I don't know about that she hasn't told me? Um, but we have all kinds of differences. So, I mean, for us, it's very simple. I like spicy foods. She doesn't like it so spicy. In the morning when we're getting ready to get, to, you know, I like it. To, I like to wake up like the sunrise is happening to me, you know. And it's like in my room as I'm getting dressed, you know, the lamps are on and the sun's starting to come through. She comes through and flips on every light. It's like a freight train is coming right at me in the morning. I'm like, what in the world? It's like a Saul at Damascus Road experience to get up in the morning. And so we're just totally different. I'm just being real. We have all of these differences, and they show up everywhere. How many of you guys realize that you got some differences, okay? You don't have to look too far to see the differences. And so today, we're going to have some fun, and you may have seen this video I'm about to show today, but I just wanted to show it just for fun. Beck and I were talking, we said, this is just fun. How many of you guys know it's okay to have fun in church, right? It's okay to have fun, so we're going to have fun, so let's roll this video. Get back to work. No, that's not funny. 
Yeah. Yeah, sometimes we run into situations like that, don't we, guys? So not that we're pointing out just the guys, but uh, it happens sometimes. Because you start out with marriage, and it's, it's all right. It's good. It's great. And then I saw this sign on the Internet. I'll just read to you real quick. It says, marriage is like a deck of cards. In the beginning, all you need is two hearts and a diamond. By the end, you wish you had a club and a spade. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. That's probably not where we want this to go today, is it? But if you find yourself there, that's what we're going to work on today. So let's keep going. Ephesians chapter 5, let's back up to verse 21. It says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives also should submit everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, we're going to get into that stuff just in a little bit later in the message. But I want to just take just a moment and dream our way to what we think a better marriage or relationship. By the way, you don't have to apply these things today just to marriage. These are to all relationships. But let's just take marriage for just a little bit and let's dream our way to a better marriage. Like what if these things were actually happening? What if there was sacrifice? You know, what if your husband was sacrificing for you as Christ sacrificed for the church? What if your wife was, was uh, participating in the way that's described here? What would that look like? So let's just dream for just a little bit. And I'm going to have you fill in the blank. If my spouse would blank, our marriage would be better. So if my spouse, maybe it's take out the trash. Maybe it's if my spouse would learn to forgive. If my spouse, whatever it is, maybe you have something that comes right to mind. Like if they would do this, this would, it would just change 
our relationship. Usually we can pick out one or two or three things that usually become like a linchpin that, man, if this would just happen, everything would be different. Has everybody kind of got something in mind? It's like, yeah, if my spouse would do this, don't nod your head too big, okay, if they're sitting next to you this morning. Uh, We kind of have something in our mind as to what that would look like. Now, as good as that was and as fun as that was, it totally misses the point. It totally misses the point. Why? Because we have this false belief. Here's the false belief. Our false belief is that happiness in our relationships is based on what the other person does. So we also then transfer that around to say that unhappiness in our relationship is related to what the other person does. And so what we have is a situation where we're basing our happiness on if my spouse would blank, then our relationship would be better. Now, a healthy marriage or healthy relationships are really never the fruit of performance, but of a process. Because you know that performance can be faked. Performance can be manipulated. Performance can be uh, seasonal. How many of you guys, when you guys were dating, there was a certain performance that you realized after you got married for a couple years, that was just the best side of them. That was just something that if I was judging it all by the performance, it wouldn't be the same as reality. To help illustrate this, I'm recruiting a guy by video that we saw uh, at a Tuesday night class. Terry was showing at the Tuesday night class. I said, man, I got to show that because it fits right in. So let's roll. Mr. and Mrs. Mug met right after college, and like many people, and they, you know, he saw her and said, I, ooh, I got, you know, and she's like, woo, you know, and he had a degree and a future, and she was, you know, look at her. I mean, she's a knockout, so she's, all oh, that's working for her. And so they started dating, and you know, when they first started dating and hanging out, they were so careful because he's trying to win her heart and she's trying to win his affection and you know it's just they were just so careful and they had a few little little problems along the way and there were a couple of bumps in the relationship but they were just so careful and everything was going to be great and then they got married and then about a month into their marriage they had a, a, a problem they had a bump and stuff came out and and he and he looked at her and said whoa, where did all that come from? And she looked at him and said, well, I didn't know you had anger issues. And he said, well, I didn't have anger issues till you bought me. Oh, there it is again. And then they had another problem and they, they just were, so, and she went to see her sister and she said, I didn't know he was like that. And he went to see, he went to see, you know, he went, I don't know, we don't know where guys go. They don't go anywhere, you know. He looked in the mirror, perhaps. I don't know. (laughs) And he sat around thinking, wow, she makes me so mad. She makes me so mad. Whenever she brings that up, I just get mad. And if she would quit bumping me like that, then I wouldn't be so mad. My my wife, you know, she has issues. And so he says to her, he says, you know, when we we were dating, I didn't see all this. Where's all that coming from? She says, well, every time we get in an argument, you make me act that way. Now, it's been entertaining so far, even if you haven't learned anything, right? (laughs) Now, here's what I want you to see. Mr. Mug thinks the reason the blue beads come out of him is because they keep having conflicts and she keeps bumping him. And Mrs. Mug thinks the pink beads keep coming out of her because he keeps, you know, they keep having problems and he keeps bumping her. But here's here's the truth. 
The reason blue beads come out of Mr. Mug is because that's what's in there. And the reason the pink beads come out of, you writing this down? The reason the pink beads come out of Mrs. Mug is because that's what's in there. No, that's true, right? That's true. All right. Uh, so I'm going to show a video just like that for every point today, and then I'll share with you what the point is that I want you to get on marriage today and relationships. And here's point number one. What's in you is what comes out of you. What's in you, that's what comes out of you. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28 says, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. See, the love comes from something that's even within us, right? He who loves his wife loves himself. If you're going to love, that's going to come from somewhere. If you're going to be angry, that's going to come from somewhere. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Here's the truth. You are only as powerful as what's in you. You're only as healthy as what's in you. And a healthy marriage, a healthy relationships takes two powerful people to be involved. Now, I'm going to borrow from Danny Silk, who he's written books on this, but I saw a video on this as well. This is such a key point I want you to catch today, this next section. Okay? And, and he describes powerful people as people who can manage themselves no matter what the other person does. That's just a loose definition. Somebody who can manage what's going on inside of them, no matter what's going on on the outside. So let me ask you a question. Do you feel in your relationships right now, do you feel most of the time, do you feel powerful or do you feel powerless in your relationships? Do you feel powerful or do you feel powerless? Here, here's the thing. The, Becca cannot make me love her. And I cannot make her love me. What, how, does, how does love really happen? Love only happens when I choose to love her or when she chooses to love me. John 15, 16, Jesus goes to the disciples. He said, you didn't, choo you didn't choose me, but I chose you. You see, that's the foundation of love is, is choosing love. That's the foundation. It, it's saying this. It's not based on what you've done. How many of you guys know that Jesus didn't choose to love us based on what we did? Jesus didn't choose to love us based on who we are. Jesus chose to love us as a choice, and he, ha he managed himself. He knew that maybe it was an unfair transaction. It was not even based on whether we chose him or not. He just said, I'm going to go ahead and choose you anyway. How does that work? That works this way. It's based on this, that I tell me what to do, and I do that. <laughs> it's very simple. Is it, this is profound for anybody today yet? I tell me what to do and I do that. And it's not affected by what you do or what you have done or who you are. And, and when Jesus said uh, that I choose you, what he was saying is that you will never have to worry about my half of this relationship. How many of you guys know that's true? We never have to worry about Jesus' half of our relationship. He's always going to take care of his half. Now, what we do with our half is a different story. But when Jesus says, I choose you, and he does that, that's what love is. I'm choosing you. He's saying, I never, you never have to worry about my half of the relationship. And you never have to worry about my love because I'm choosing love. In relationships, do you know what love looks like? When you, are, when you feel empowered, it's, it's when you can say, I choose you, and you don't have to worry about my half. I'll manage my half. 
I'll take care of this, and I'll make sure that that's not going to be an issue. You see, love says you never have to worry about my half because I'm choosing you. That's a powerful thing. If you can get this, this is a powerful thing. And so let me share with you these three thoughts, these three points, uh, uh, how he fleshes this out, how Danny fleshes this out. And this is what it looks like, okay? When you have two people get together and you have two powerless people coming together in a relationship of any kind. Powerless plus powerless equals controlling. And this is what it looks like. These people are in a constant battle trying to get the other person to manage their half. Is anybody following me this morning? So if you have a powerless person, what you think, just like, just like Andy Stanley talked about, that the other person makes you happy, makes you mad. And so you have, if you're a powerless person, you spend a lot of time trying to control the other person because they are, because you believe that they are controlling what's happening on your half. And that, that becomes really, really dangerous because you're saying that it's your job to control my half of us. It's your job to make me happy. It's your job to not make me mad. It's your job to call me. It's your job to love me in the way that I need to be loved. And you are controlling my part of the half. Listen, I love the way he puts it. He said, if, if I had the power to make someone do anything, I wouldn't make Becca mad at me. <laughs> if I actually had that power, I wouldn't make her mad. I would make her think that I'm the most amazing person, which is all true, guys. And it's, you know, I mean, that I'm the most amazing person. I would make her just want to like me a lot and to do, if I had the power to actually make her do any, the truth is I don't have the power. You don't, your spouse does not have the power to control you. And so powerless people think it's the other person's job to tend to your half of the relationship, and that breaks down, and they actually believe it's someone else's job to manage them. Now, you can also get this. A powerful person gets put together with a powerless person, and what this looks like is a dependent relationship. I want you to analyze where you're at in this, guys, okay, and where God wants to speak to you on this. Powerful plus powerless equals dependent, and here's how that looks. You see, a powerful person can believe, they believe this, you know what? It may look like Seattle gray skies on the outside everywhere else, but I'm telling you, it's like L.A. sunshine on the inside, on the inside of me, 24-7. I mean, it's always good weather on the inside of me. See, that's a powerful person. It doesn't matter what's happening on the outside. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are because I can control what's happening in here through the power of the Holy Spirit. Does anybody believe that? You see, just because we believe it, it doesn't mean we're putting it into practice just yet. And so here's what happens. So the powerful person, man, they have managed themselves. They are, man, there's sunshine going on. Bad news sunshine still happens. Bad news, bad things, sunshine still happens. And they come and they meet someone who's, who's maybe a powerless person. And on the inside of them is just gray skies. Gray skies. And so then the powerful and the powerless come together and the sunshine just spills over into the powerless person. And all of a sudden they feel wonderful because they, all of a sudden they're feeling some of the sunshine that the powerful person has. And they're like, man, I love the way that's making me feel. Maybe the way that you're making, again, a powerless person believes that the other person makes them feel a certain way. So maybe you could make me feel that way all the time. And so we have the makings of a codependent relationship. 
And so what we have then is somebody who feels now, the powerful person feels like, oh my gosh, I've got to constantly bring sunshine to this person. And now the powerful person is trying to do two parts. And the powerless person, if the powerful person lets them down, even for a second, feels like there's something wrong with the relationship and there's something wrong with them. But the fact is they have not managed the sunshine on the inside of their hearts. Is anybody getting this this morning? This is good stuff, okay? And so that's what happens, all right? Uh, Now we have powerful plus powerful equals free. If you have two powerful people who are understanding that I'm going to manage my half of love, And I'm going to choose you whether you choose me or not. And you got another powerful person who says, I'll manage my half of the love. And I'm going to choose you no matter what you do. You're going to have ups and downs, but two powerful people equal freedom. And this is what is a a healthy relationship looks like. See, powerless people end up believing, end up having to control everything around them. And this is the irony of it. Powerless people try to control people and circumstances because they are afraid that if they don't control it, it will affect them on the inside. And so instead of controlling this, they try to control everything else because their belief system is that everything external is what affects the internal. And it becomes a disastrous thing. And so what happens is when anything external happens that's bad, they blame something or someone for the response that they chose to have. Now, if you're recognizing this in yourself, it's, it's a very painful thing to recognize right now. But I tell you, on the end of that pain is freedom. On the end of that is freedom. See, a lot of people think, well, if you wouldn't have done that, then you wouldn't have put me in this mood. But here's the truth. What's on the inside of you is really what's going to come out. That is a spiritual truth. And powerful people know how to to and have decided to manage themselves through the power of the Holy Spirit no matter what happens on the outside. So I'm going to have Becca come up and help me share a little bit. Would you give her a big hand as she shares a little insight on this? Hey, everybody. So... First of all, at the beginning, when I talk at the second point, I'm going to get to vindicate myself a little bit. But I'm I'm not there yet. I still choose you. I still choose you. (laughs) Okay, out of the three points we're going to be talking about today, I'll just be really open. This is the one that I've struggled with the most. Um, We both got married very young, and I will tell you, when we met each other, we were both, we both really enjoyed debating. Like, it was so fun to, like, pick opposite sides and talk about it. And you guys know what it's like when you're dating. You know, I'd be like, oh, he, he out-argued me. That's so cute. He's so smart. You know, wow. That's so great. <laughs> but how many of you know we get married and he starts out-arguing me over and over and over again. And my pride starts kicking in. And... So I just, I decided I can't win. If I'm going to fight, I don't win. So you might think, well, I stopped fighting. No, I kept fighting, but I fought on the inside. So, you know, we'd get in an argument and then I would stop and I'd smile and I'd be sweet. But on the inside, it's like guns blazing. It's like, that is not right. And I would say this if I could, and I would say this if I could, and I would say this. And over time, it would get worse and worse and worse. And I just continued this habit Um, And I have shared this before, but I wanted to share it again because I really thought during that time that I was being good. You know, I thought I was being submissive. I thought I was being compliant. 
I thought I was being the bigger person, you know, and like backing off and letting him win. But that's not what was inside of me was really, really bad and really, really prideful. And it would come out if we would have a stressful moment. If I would get bumped too much, then, oh, my gosh, <laughs> you would uh, you would all be shocked at the Becca that you would see come out just exploding. And um, we'd both be surprised. I mean, because really, like I said, I thought I was doing OK. What, what other secrets are in here? <laughs> I don't wear socks anymore to bed. Um, so anyway, uh, that that is what would come out. And I, I was the powerless person. I would think thoughts like, well, he, he doesn't listen to me. He makes me feel this way. He makes me so angry. I feel like I'm being pushed down. And I, if, if he just didn't act like that, then I wouldn't. And so I, resentment start, started building up. And I started blaming him for the resentment. And so it's like all these negative feelings I would have. And I would just let myself have them. Because, and here's something to think about, you guys that are married. For me, all of these really extreme negative emotions didn't come out until after we were married. So the logical assumption I made was, it's him. Because I wasn't like this before, but it's him. But that's not true. I was like that before. It was just never tested. And so anyway, like, like I said, you know, I, 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 I grew a whole lot um, during the first part of our marriage. But I'm still growing. I'm still, there's still areas where I'm struggling with this. But I'm just learning to let God heal the inside first. So instead of trying so hard to make sure that my behavior is respectful, I am learning to let God make, make me respectful. And then that behavior that I want so bad, that'll just come out without me even trying. Yeah, yeah that's good. That's good. All right. Um, so if you don't deal with it as an attitude, guess what? It's, you're going to deal with it as an action. If you don't deal with it as an attitude, you're going to deal with it as an action. And so we have to deal with it on the inside. All right. The, the next point, again, I'm going to show you a video, and then I'll reveal what the point is. So let's go ahead and let's roll the video. So what does it take to live to 100 or beyond? As you will see, the answer is not what we expect. Julianne Holt-Lunstead is a researcher at Brigham Young University, and she addressed this very question in a series of studies of tens of thousands of middle-aged people, and she looked at every aspect of their lifestyle, their diet, their exercise, their marital status, how often they went to the doctor, whether they smoked or drank, etc. She recorded all of this, and then she and her colleagues sat tight and waited for seven years to see who would still be breathing. And of the people left standing, what reduced their chances of dying the most? That was her question. So let's now look at her data in summary, going from the least powerful predictor to the strongest. Whether you're lean or overweight, you can stop feeling guilty about this because it's only in third place. How much exercise you get is next, still only a moderate predictor. Does anybody here know that having a flu vaccine protects you more than doing exercise? And getting towards the top predictors are two features of your social life. First, your close relationships. These are the people that you can call on for a loan if you need money suddenly, who will call the doctor if you're not feeling well, or who will take you to the hospital, or who will sit with you if you're having an ex existential crisis, if you're in despair. That 
Those people, that little clutch of people are a strong predictor, if you have them, of how long you'll live. And then something that surprised me, something that's called social integration. This means how much you interact with people as you move through your day. How many people do you talk to? And these mean both your weak and your strong bonds. So not just the people you're really close to who mean a lot to you, but like, do you talk to the guy who every day makes you your coffee? Um, do you talk to the postman? Do you talk to the woman who walks by your house every day with her dog? Do you play bridge or poker or have a book club? Those interactions are one of the strongest predictors of how long you live. All right. So those, uh, the top two... Uh, have to do with relationships. Now, that could be a really big plug for our group's ministry, by the way, to interact with people. Um, but I, I just want to highlight that the top two have to do with relationships. Now, if you're in any kind of relationship, here, here's the point. If you don't want to die early, die to self often. <laughs> if you don't want to die early, die to self often. Here's what it looks like. Ephesians chapter 5 24 and 25. Now, as the church submits to Christ, remember this is the picture of marriage and it's, and it's a picture of an allegory of Christ in the church. As the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, let's first of all deal with the elephant in the room of that word submission because that becomes something that's been abused and twisted and, and, and misused uh, in church circles. So I don't want you to be turned off by that word. That really what it means for the submission of the wife isn't putting her in a place of inferiority. It's actually placing her in a position of being loved, protected, and cared for by the husband. Okay, these are two different things, and, and we need to get that right. You see, the husband is supposed to sacrifice so strongly in the marriage, in the relationship, that it actually gives the wife strength. It doesn't take something away from her. Jesus, in our relationship, if you want to carry that picture out, Jesus did the heavy lifting in our relationship, right? If you play out that scenario of Christ in the church, Jesus did the heavy lifting. Husbands, we are to do the heavy lifting in the relationship so that it makes it easy for the wife to come and to be a part of that relationship. Now, how many of you wives would have zero problem submitting to a husband who's giving his life, sacrificing it for everything that, that you, you need? How many of you ladies would have? I don't have any problem at all with that, right? Now, you, you might be saying, well, but pastor, my husband isn't doing that. Pastor, my, my wife isn't doing that. Here's the kicker. The Bible tells us to do it whether the other person is doing it or not. And that's where the by faith aspect comes in. See, a lot of times we say, well, pastor, the other person isn't doing it. Again, what have you become? A powerless person. You say, well, I'm only going to do this if this other person does this. And here's, the, here's what a, a spiritual truth I want you to get. Only powerful people, like we've described, can truly sacrifice. Now, I'm going to lay out my case for this. When I talk about sacrifice, I'm not talking about losing yourself. We just talk about becoming a powerful person. I'm talking about this word sacrifice. Now, when we were, before we were married, we were, I remember, I told you this before, but we, I remember we were driving uh, in the car together and we were just in love. We were just infatuated with one another. We were just all of that stuff. And I remember we were talking about it. We said, we probably, and we're dead serious, we probably we probably will have the best marriage ever because, I mean, we 
I mean, we are so in tune with one another. We're like best friends. And stuff. I mean, like everything is just, we probably, and we really believed it. We were so stupid. We just, we thought we probably are going to have, I mean, this is probably off the charts. It's like Guinness Book of World Records happening right now. Whenever this happens, this not ever happened in the history of marriage. This is going to happen. We're a part of it. It's awesome. We were so stupid. And so we learned that very quickly. Um, but there are actually chemicals in the brain, I've heard, that when you have infatuation for one another, it, it's like the same addiction thing that starts to hit like cocaine, where you need another hit of it. And how many of you guys know that it doesn't take long for infatuation to wear off after a while? And so what happens when you don't get that hit, you think, man, I'm out of love, or there's something wrong with them, or here's what usually happens. And I want you to catch this. Here's what usually happens. We begin to either get mad at the other person, or... We start to do nice things for them. You say, well, Sean, why, why would I do nice things? It's because, again, powerless people. I think that if I can do something nice for her, that she owes me a hit, right? Whatever that is. So we begin to do things that catch this, look like we're sacrificing for one another. But powerless people don't sacrifice. Powerless people, you see, there's a difference between a payment and a sacrifice. Catch this, this is key. There's a difference between a payment and a sacrifice. Only when I'm free from being controlled in my mind by her can I truly sacrifice for her. Otherwise, what I'm doing is I'm either returning payment for something she's done, or I'm placing a down payment for her to owe me later. Can anybody recognize this in relationships and how we work? See, if I'm powerless and I think that she, that she owes me something, that love works by me doing something, quote-unquote sacrificing, and now she owes me, that is not true sacrifice. That is a payment. Only powerful people, if I can manage myself over here and I'm going to choose love no matter what you do, only then can I really, truly sacrifice because it's not tied to payment if we can get this going on in our relationships it will revolutionize our relationships it's a very simple thing see i'm not it's saying i'm not going to allow how respectful you are to me to determine how respectful i am to you i will sacrifice and be respectful no matter what you do that's a sacrifice i will do something for you whether i get payment in return ever at all, because I'm not doing it for that. That's real sacrifice. Do you have a culture about you that, ha- that protects your core values that, that says, I can truly sacrifice. I'm not going to make payments anymore. I'm going to truly sacrifice because it's not dependent on what you do or do not do for me. Part of the reason we don't do this is it feels so unfair. You know, you start doing it and you start doing it and you start doing it and you're like, I am giving everything. I feel like nothing is happening. It's so, it gets so hard because it feels so unfair after a while. Um, but I think that part of the reason that it feels unfair is because we, we're kind of holding on to two different beliefs at the same time. And let me illustrate that. So, um, by the way, I like to think of myself as an efficient driver. <laughs> and... <laughs> When I'm sitting in the, when he's driving, in my mind, I'm always thinking, you could get in that lane, that, those people are going faster, you could go over here, and you could come over here. <laughs> anyway. I'm thinking about laws and <laughs> rules and stuff, I don't know. <laughs> oh. 
Anyway, so one big difference that he's talked about before is our temperature preferences. And somebody make me feel a little better. Today is okay, but aren't you usually freezing in this building? Please, anybody. See, how, how many of you guys are like burning up right now? How many, yes, look at that, yes. I'm telling you. Anyway, so he's also talked about um, the sauna and the hot tub and stuff like that. He can sit in it forever. And I am like really, really, really dying. And um, so, you know, over the years we've tried to compromise, you know, he'll get out sooner than he wants to and I'll stay in longer than I want to. But this last time we went, I decided, okay, I am going to suffer for the marriage. I'm going to stay in as long as I can. And so we're sitting in this sauna and, you know, of course being quiet and he's sitting there relaxing, I guess. And I am just dying. I'm just, I'm, my, my face is red. I'm not sweating for some reason. I can't breathe. I'm like, I'm like, this is not relaxing. I am not relaxed. This is not relaxing. And I'm sure he can sense it. And he, he looks over at me and he says, stop fighting it. Just stop fighting it. You're hot. You're going to be hot. Just be hot. And initially, I thought that was kind of a silly thing to say. Well, we're in a sauna. Of course, we're going to be hot. But then I realized that's what I was doing. I was, I was fighting the feeling of being hot. And so I took a few deep breaths, and I actually started to feel better. Did I enjoy it? No. And I got out as soon as I could. But I started to feel better. But the silly thing is, is that's, that's really kind of what I was doing. I was sitting in a sauna, not wanting to be hot, and fighting the feeling of being hot. And I think that sometimes that's what we do, especially Christians. We want to sit in a marriage. We want to be in a marriage, but not sacrifice, you know? And so it's like we know, yeah, everybody, you give 100, I give 100, that's great. But then... It's not, it's not possible. <laughs> Mathematically. Mathematically. Yes, I know. Yes. Um, so anyway, we expect to sit in this marriage and not sacrifice. Or we think, well, yeah, we're going to sacrifice, but we don't realize, oh, that amount of sacrifice. And so it just becomes a struggle. But that's where you have to just decide. You have to change what you believe, because once you change what you believe, that will affect your actions. All right. So this, uh, this next video, there's a guy on the video who's been... Um, has really impacted our family lately. We've been um, captivated by what this guy is all about. And so our lives are really changing the more and more we listen to this guy. And so I just want to just share this with you because I believe it'll be life-changing. Many of you guys might identify with this. So let's go ahead and let's roll it. I think there's an artist hid in the bottom of every single one of us. And here we will try to show you how to bring that artist out, to put it on canvas, because you too can paint almighty pictures. Okay, let's go right in here. Soon. Got to make those little noises or, or it doesn't work right. There. Just pull. See there how easy that is, though? Something like so. Straight down. Make those little noises. And very lightly go across. There. Now let's go right in here. Got to make those little noises. We just let it come right up here and break the horizon. All kinds of happy little splashy strokes will show up, on, especially on the black canvas. And you can literally, just by changing brush strokes, you can lay out your entire mountain and have an idea of how, how you want to put the highlights. There. See, just let all these things happen. 
people will think you work for months to get all these different colors. And it's all in the loading of the knife. All in the loading. Let's just go right in here and begin dropping in some happy little trees and bushes and let's just see what happens. Just let them, just let them flow off your brush. Maybe in our world back here, maybe there's a happy little tree that lives right here, a little evergreen tree. See, just touch and then use just the corner of the brush and work back and forth. Maybe there's a little, yep, little stone lives right there. And wherever you want them, you just drop them in. Several little stones, put some little grassy things. There we go. Now, cut through it. And let's put some happy little water lines back here. Maybe there's a happy bush. Yep, that's right there. Comes right on out. Or just wherever you want them. Wherever you want them. You can have as many or as few. If you've painted with me before, you know that's really the fun part of this. It's really the fun part, just washing the brush. There. <laughs> Isn't that fun? Okay. <laughs> yeah. How many of you guys forgot you were in church there for a little bit? It's like, I'm just going to go to sleep. Just, just hang out. Uh, all right. So point number three, get your Bob Ross on. That's point number three. That actually is point number three. Now let me explain that. Uh, I'm going to have to read a scripture, then I'll explain that. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, the way my brain works, I'm, I'm looking at Bob Ross, and I'm like, how does he see all of that? When I'm looking at the canvas, I'm looking at the paintbrush, somehow he's seeing all of that, and he's just, and he's just doing it, you know? He somehow sees something that no one else can, and it creates something beautiful. Now, here's the point for us. This is what our marriages need to look like. When you find that, man, I, I've, I'm a powerful person, I'm going to trust her to manage her half and to take care of that, and now, instead of just sacrificing and trying to, you know, this is painful and I'm working on myself. Here's the, the next thing we really have to get going on. And that's when we start to look for things that maybe aren't visible at first. We have to look for the beauty in there that maybe isn't happening in the behavior at first. We have to start to look for these things that maybe aren't so obvious on the surface. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 and 7 says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure, that glory of God. We have that treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The glory of God is... In us. You know, in Exodus, it talks about honoring your father and mother. That word honor is the same word that, that is translated out glory or weightiness. And it's finding glory in our mother and father. And I've shared this before, but Larry Randolph says this, this quote about mothers and fathers. He says, look for the glory God has deposited in the lives of your mother and father. And lock onto that and drag it to the surface in your relationship with them. Now, I want to apply this to all relationships. Look for the glory of God in your spouse. Lock onto that 
and drag it to the surface of your relationship. Don't let the differences be the surface. Don't let the conflict be the surface. Drag the glory of God and see the glory of God in your kids. We'll talk about it in a few weeks. But lock onto the glory of God. Deposit the image of God and drag that to the surface and begin to look at that. Reach in and do that. And I guarantee you, if you can change and, and change what you are looking at, everything changes. Yeah, I just want to give you just a little um, exercise you could do. I read this somewhere a long time ago, and I'm going to adjust it just a little bit for us. But So go home sometime when you're by yourself and make two lists. And on the first list, I want you to write out every single time your spouse let you down all of the bad things, the things that, you, that, that irritate you about them, big, little, whatever. Write it down. The, th- the times that maybe they left you out there, you know, high and dry and didn't stick up for you or whatever. And then on the second list, of course, you see where I'm going. Write down everything you love about your spouse. Write down the times that they sacrificed for you when they didn't have to. Write down um, the, the little things that they've done that were a surprise to you. Write down every single thing that you can think of that you're thankful for in your spouse. Now, I want you to take one of those lists and put them in a drawer and look at that list maybe once or twice a year just to remind yourself that that's reality and that that, that really does exist. The other list, tape up on your bathroom mirror and read every single day. And that list, that daily list, will determine how you see your spouse. It will determine how you interpret what your spouse does, what your spouse says. It will determine how you interpret the storyline of your marriage about what has happened and what will happen. And you get to decide which list goes where. And I think that that one decision could be the most significant and impactful thing that you could do for your marriage. You, You find what you're looking for. I mean, I really believe that. You find what you're looking for. If you expect to find good, you will find it. All right. Now, we're going to wrap it up. So we're going to have the worship team come back up at this point. Here's my um, kind of last thought. This oneness idea that we talked about at the very beginning. Oneness is the result of two powerful people genuinely sacrificing for one another and dragging the glory of God to the surface. That's, that's when you start to really experience that oneness. The goal isn't individuality. The goal is to become one, and that's how we do that. So here's my action step for you guys. Invest in your marriage, okay? It's going to be a very simple step. And we have provided a, a, this event in two weeks for you to invest in your marriage. An all-day Saturday event. All day. You know what? If you want to, sacrifice, you want to take a step, if you aren't signed up for this event... Make the investment. Make it happen. You say, well, I can't because of this and this and this. If it's important to you, you'll make it happen. If it's, if it's worth it, you'll make it happen. So do that one thing. Because here's the truth. You've got to catch. You don't find a great marriage. You build a great marriage. You don't find a great marriage. You build one. And if you aren't building it, it may go from... It, listen, if you want a great marriage to become a good marriage, do nothing. A great marriage will turn into a good marriage. If you want a good marriage to become a lukewarm marriage, do nothing. Because a good marriage will turn into a lukewarm marriage. If you want a lukewarm marriage to turn into a bad marriage, do nothing. Because it will happen automatically. If you want a a bad marriage to turn into a crisis, do nothing. 
because it will happen. But if you want a great marriage, if you want to go from a crisis marriage to a bad marriage even, then, then invest in it. If you want to go from a bad to a lukewarm, invest in it. If you want to go from a lukewarm to a good one, invest in it. If you want to go from a good to a great, it takes an investment. And we are providing everything, at least an opportunity for that to happen here in a couple of weeks. Listen, a good marriage needs a reset button. And the thing is, in Jesus Christ, there's always a reset button, isn't there? There's always a reset button. It's not too far gone. There's always a reset button. It may have taken a a thousand small or big steps to get it wrong, but listen, it only takes one step turned around towards the cross to make it all right again. It takes one step. And today, would you guys stand up with me and bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. What we really need in, this, in our marriages and in all our relationships is Jesus. Listen, if we are one with Jesus, we'll be one in the marriage. If we get one with Jesus, we'll be one in the marriage. So with heads bowed and eyes closed right now, I'm just going to say some declarations over our relationships right now. And you just can just receive them or agree with them by faith. Lord, right now we just pray over all these marriages in, in, in uh, particular right now. And we just speak life, health. We speak healing. We speak truth to flood into these marriages. Lord, we just speak that, these, that our church is filled with vibrant marriages that are pictures of Christ in the church. The marriages that are growing closer to you and closer to one another. Lord, we just speak over marriages that are broken right now. And we just claim right now that healing is happening right now. Lord, we just declare right now that those who are estranged from one another, that it will be brought back and things will be put right back right. Lord, we, we pray over those who have already lost and maybe they're, they're at one point were married and, they, and it's not the case today. Lord, we just know that you will mend broken hearts and that it's not, there's not a, a day where everything is just lost, but there's always hope for a bright future. So Lord, we declare that over this place, over all relationships and Lord, I just pray for those who are not yet married, but thinking about getting married. Lord, that you would develop in them this culture before they get married so that they won't have to go through so much pain and, and, and so much disruption and distraction. Lord, that they would be able to go into it in a healthy way. And Lord, we just declare that. We thank you so much for the sacrifice that you made towards us, that you died on the cross, you paid the price for all of our sins, that you wiped away the record of wrongs, that love, that you chose us and it keeps no record of our wrongs. You rose from the dead so that we might have life. And Lord, we are so thankful that you chose us. And today in response, we choose to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship him one more time. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.